Hello and welcome to Culture Watch, a podcast of Speaking for Him. My name is Andrew Gomison and I am your host each and every Monday as we look at current events and news items from a biblical perspective. Because as you know, we are not called to be of the world, but we are called to live in it. And so it is incumbent upon us to have a proper response and a ready answer for others in response to the things that go on around us. And so that is why I am so privileged to come to you each week with this podcast. Over the last six months, uh, it's been a real blessing uh, to have people listening, and I just want to express my appreciation to each and every one of you. If you have any feedback on this show, please make sure that you contact me with the contact information that will roll at the end of this time together. I would really appreciate hearing from you. If there's any stories that you think I should cover or discuss, or if there's any perspectives on the stories that I do share that you think I would benefit from, please hit me up. I would really appreciate it. And as always, if you really want to help the show, please let other people know about it and share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get started with news from the week of January 29th. Well, we're going to start out this broadcast by bringing you a clip from the March for Life where national championship winning head coach of Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, gave his testimony of sorts of not only his stand for life, but also a revival that broke out on the team this special season. Oh, well, first off, congrats on the Natty Championship. How's it feel, and what have you been doing ever since that? Oh, it's been incredible. Um, just back to work, you know, getting ready for uh, getting ready for the next season. There's there's a passing of the torch that's that's uh, that's awesome, and just incredible to be here today and see the testimony of of so many that are here. Well, and then also too, you were telling me seventy players got baptized on your team this season. You know, what led to kind of like that mini revival inside of the Wolverine rock locker room here? You know, it's our it's our players uh, and their parents, our coaches, our staff. It's a it's a it's a there's a, there's a spiritual mission, you know, to our team. And uh, yeah, I'm inspired by them. You know, you see guys like Blake Corm and, yeah. and and so many others. But uh, yeah, it's inspirational. The the young players on our team are. Uh, are incre- incredible examples. Yeah. I mean, you're so bold in the pro-life fight, too. We're here for the March for Life. You know, why are you so bold? And then why do you feel like it's kind of taboo to talk about this? We can talk about everything on God, green, earth, in college sports and pro sports, but a lot of people don't touch the pro-life issue. Why is that? Just have the courage to let the unborn be born. I, I And uh, the testimony of, of, of so many here, of yourself, uh, you know, just so so thankful and grateful for that. This is a great day. For a march, it's a great day for the sanctity of life, and it's a it's football weather. Yeah. So let's go. <laughs> let's go. And then uh, finally, to um, 
How is the uh, the job search going? I know you can't break it, everything down, but I'm a, I'm a Falcons fan, so obviously I'm rooting for you. And you got a lot of different places that are searching you out. But you know what kind of keeps you grounded while you got uh, a lot of people wanting you up at the top in the NFL while still coming off a great national championship with Michigan. Well, I just just take I just take the counsel from from God yeah. and, and the Holy Spirit and, uh, and Mr. Jack Harbaugh, my dad and my wife Sarah. Uh, but you know just. Just taking the advice, just living living one day at a time, you know. Uh, one day at a time, one game at a time, one play at a time. And then final two questions for you. One pro-life question, one football question, pro-life question. Um, you know, why do you believe that every single baby has value? It's the, it's the sanctity of life. Uh, I mean, there's, there's no right without the right to be born. And then finally, too, how do you think uh, your brother's no right, gonna... No other rights matter <laughs> if you don't have the right to be born. Final question, how do you think your brother's going to do tomorrow? Oh, I, uh, he's going to do great. He's going to do great. The, the, you got a score prediction? The whole, the whole family will be there supporting my brother, and uh, yeah, I think great things are going to happen. Score prediction? I, I don't have a score prediction, <laughs> no. For you. Ravens more than the other team. By one point. By one point, it'll be perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. So I have been a Jim Harbaugh fan from a very young age, I used to watch him play for the Chicago Bears and then more prevalently to my memory, playing for the Indianapolis Colts and getting them very close to the Super Bowl. I think they may have either gone to the AFC Championship and just barely lost or just barely lost the opportunity to go to the AFC Championship. Um, and he earned a nickname... Uh, as captain comeback and one of the things that he would always do at the end of every game win or lose is give glory to his lord and savior jesus christ and for a while that seemed to go away from when i would hear him speak publicly uh but it seems that he has experienced a personal revival uh because that was definitely something that came out a lot this season, his commitment to Jesus Christ and his desire to see his players be not just good players, but good men. If you watch the post game of almost every game, you would see Jim Harbaugh when he was talked to, he always deflected the praise to his players and he always encouraged them to speak to the media and people like uh, Blake Corum and Zach Zenter and Donovan Edwards have taken bold stands for the Lord Jesus this season. And as you heard, it's actually part of a bigger thing that happened in Michigan with 70 members of the 100-member Wolverines football team taking a stand for Christ through baptism. And so that's an encouraging thing to come out of Ann Arbor and as a Michigan fan, it just bolsters my uh, admiration for this coaching staff and for this team. And I'm so thrilled that we finished with a national championship. And I can say that since this interview happened, uh, Jim Harbaugh has accepted a position as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. So that makes the Los Angeles Chargers automatically my second favorite team to the Detroit Lions. So I'm really hoping that Jim has success. Uh, he's been 
a successful NFL coach before. He actually went to the Super Bowl against his own brother, uh, John Harbaugh, who is the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. They will be facing each other next season as part of the regular season, so that will be an intriguing matchup. And I'm just wishing Jim the best. Um, he seems to have his head on straight and really prioritize family. And, you know, it's one thing to, to say that you're pro-life, but some of the public stands and ridicule that Jim has gone through this year show me that it's real for him. Uh, because he spoke at a crisis pregnancy uh, banquet uh, last fall, and he was ridiculed for that. Some people even called for him to be fired from the University of Michigan uh, for making that stand. If you make a, any number of liberal stands, that's okay, but making a stand for life is somehow wrong. So, Jim, I applaud you for uh, taking a stand for life and... I'll just make a note right here that we will be discussing uh, the issue of the sanctity of human life this Wednesday on the regular podcast, and I'm looking forward to that conversation with you all. So please make sure that you're listening Wednesday for that. But again, I salute the Michigan Wolverines on their national championship and Jim on his opportunity to go to L.A. and coach the Chargers. I hope that he is successful. And even though I want the Lions to win every single time they hit the field, I would love to see Jim get a Super Bowl title uh, before he completely retires from football. Well, from snowy Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, we go to sunny but not so friendly California. In and Out Burger will be closing its only Oakland location, which has been open for nearly two decades. The company citing crime and safety concerns as the reason why. An opinion columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle isn't pleased by the move. She tweeted, quote, remember, In and Out isn't some benevolent institution. It's a fast food chain driven by profit goals. If In and Out's primary concern is the well-being of the communities it serves, it wouldn't be leaving. Judge. Why me first? I'm <laughs> you so have disgusted to. <laughs> by this. You know, so you shouldn't worry about the number of employees that are assaulted. And when they leave, the new employees coming in who don't want to take the job, potential employees, because they don't want to get assaulted. Or, you know, the fact that it takes police longer to get there because the police have been defunded or 911 isn't as fast as it used to be. And, you know, you can't get employees who want to work late because everybody's getting beat up or the cars are broken into outside. And you hope you're in insurance company will still cover you. And this woman, who was a former blogger, who was a co-host of a podcast called The Racist Sandwich, she wants, she wants you to stay in business because she does. I mean, it's just stupid. Well, that's why I went to you first. (laughs) Uh, Charlie, this in and out has been there for 20 years. It's actually part of the community and people's kids have worked there and then gone on to college and I'm just impressed by the amount of homework you did. For this the, block, she's the, like, got everything. The sandwich. I'm glad you went to her first. I Thank missed you. that part. But yeah. you, but then again, you also sort of mopped up all the important points. Um, <laughs> no, uh, 
Uh, but no, but this is this is like the definition of the actual definition of communism, where you control the means of production and you say, no, you cannot go out of business, e- even though you're the same people, not you, but but th- these people, these people out there. They're the same people who have ushered in all of the misery with all of their crazy lunatic policies that make it uh, have to close in the first place. Greg. Do you like in and out burger or what a burger? Trying to think of what a racist <laughs> sandwich could be. Like That's what I want to know. BLMT? A BLMT? Well, she talks about race, gender, and class in sandwiches. She has a lot of time on her hands. She does not go outside. She's in her footsie, footsie pajamas holding a cat. <laughs> That's what her life is. That's why she says, you should keep it open because she doesn't go outside. When you hear that another store is closing in Oakland, you're always shocked that there's still remaining stores in Oakland. That's like, If you're going to open a store in Oakland, that's like getting dressed for the captain's table at the Titanic. It's common knowledge, though. This is Gavin Newsom's favorite family restaurant. So this is a direct attack on him. Laundry. No, no, no. For his family. Oh, for his family. family. Because and also he would use the grease from the burger wrappers to shellac his hair. So this is a big gut punch to Newsom more so than the burgers themselves. This has got to hurt. Martha. Well, I think everything's been said, but, um, really? I, you know, I will just say that it, it's a, it's a, it's the town's responsibility to encourage small business to thrive, right? And you do that by giving them incentives to stay open. Maybe they should be giving companies tax breaks in order to encourage them to be in Oakland. And then they're going to have to provide police security. Yeah. And, you know, when people break in, they're going to have to put them in jail. It's Oakland's a pretty simple gone. equation. Okay. First of all, struggling businesses are nothing new. There are businesses all the time that are closing down or moving because they're not making the money they were making and they need to make a change. There are so many places uh, that are struggling to have workers. My brother talks often about the fact that his retirement home trains people and then they leave just a couple weeks after that or maybe even right after the training. And so... His department at the kitchen uh, goes through a lot of employees and goes from fully staffed to having shortfalls often because of the nature of how hard it is to keep people employed there. So you add the normal problems that businesses in America are having uh, at retaining employees to the insanity that is California politics when it comes to businesses and basically giving criminals a blank check to say you can do your criminal activities here and we're not going to bother you. We're going to reduce the number of store security guards. We're going to say that prosecutors don't have to prosecute you if if they you steal under $1,000 worth of merchandise we're going to reduce police presence overall because we're defunding the police. And then you're going to wonder why a company like In-N-Out Burger, who has a commitment to quality and who wants to have a safe environment for their employees and wants to have a place where people actually want to work, wants to move out of the environment they're in. It's really a head-scratcher to think about that. I also think that a lot of times the difference between someone who is more conservative and someone who leans liberal is that the conservative 
will look at the nuance of the situation. The liberal just says, this is a closing restaurant. I like this restaurant. It should stay open. And that if the restaurant cared about their community, they would stay open. And the conservative, like myself, is more likely to say, well, what are the factors? The factors are it's getting more and more dangerous in the neighborhood where this In-N-Out Burger is. It's getting harder to retain employees. And it's not worth it to stay open in that location. Businesses are fleeing California by the truckload. I mean, think about the fact that the Daily Wire left uh, California for Tennessee a few years ago. And most of their personalities moved with the company and said, we want to go to Nashville, Tennessee, where they're now based, because it's a more family-friendly environment. And the reality is, you can't be committed to non-family-friendly values and then expect families to want to stay where you are. Now, the reason that I feel really bad about this situation is the only way for a state to get better is if it has good people involved in what's going on in the state. So I'm not necessarily saying that everybody should bail on California. I'm just saying that it makes all the practical sense in the world for a company like In-N-Out Burger, who I believe is a Christian company, to make a decision which is best for their company and for their employees. And unless the politicians who are in charge of California want to take a look at reality and start amending their policies to be for the people and not just for what feels good or looks good, they're going to continue to hemorrhage. They're going to continue to have people leave, and they're going to have people continue to relocate in places that are more friendly to business and more friendly to families. That's just the reality of the situation. Well, this past week, we heard the state of the state address from our governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer using her sixth state of the state address to tout her accomplishments of 2023. Some of her words lighthearted, even throwing in song references to send her message. We got into the groove last year, but great bands do not rest on their laurels. They make the next record better than the last one. There's more to do, and nothing is going to stop us now. Among her priorities, Whitmer urged lawmakers to make schooling for all pre-K students and college-bound high school graduates. In our next budget, let's make the first two years of community college in Michigan tuition-free for every high school graduate. Governor indicated a main problem for Michiganders right now is cost, and she considers housing the largest expense, with affordability a top concern for younger adults. In Traverse City, school districts need housing for teachers who have nowhere else to live. On the west side and in the UP, there just aren't enough homes for growing families. And I know Detroiters see higher rates when they re-sign. So our response is simple. Build, baby, build. Let's go. Governor avoided discussing the presidential race, but did praise policies under the Biden administration. She also touched on inflation, indicating it's not President Biden's fault. No one likes paying six bucks for a box of cereal or more for an oil change than they did last year. But I want to be upfront with you. 
I cannot solve global inflation alone. No one person can, not even a president. If you meet someone who says they have a secret plan to fix inflation, run the other way. And don't forget about roads. It's what Whitmer originally campaigned on. Whitmer called on MDOT to authorize the final $700 million of her rebuilding Michigan plan. The final round of projects includes 94 along Metro Airport in Detroit, 696 from Southfield through Warren, and a bridge in Erie Township. The governor's address comes at a unique time, with the state house evenly divided, with 54 Democrats and 54 Republicans. The Dems lost their House majority when two representatives left their posts to assume the office of mayor. Until then, the Democrats had full control of the state government for the first time in 40 years. The governor ended her address with something we can all cheer about. I encourage you to drive safe, root for the Lions, and have a good night. Let's go. Let me just first of all say that I did not feel like she said anything particularly egregious. I know last year I was really uh, mad when I got done watching the State of the State address and some of the same issues are issues that she brought up again. So they're definitely her ballywick, the things that she wants to uh, focus on. And I disagree fundamentally with a lot of them. Uh, I'm just going to bring up a couple things here. Uh, first of all, I want to bring up that she did emphasize once again uh, the need to make pre-K available for everyone. And I realize that this is given in the guise of better education for our children. But I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize the full implications. I feel like by making pre-K available for everyone, that'll be the first step to then making it mandatory. And I feel like the younger education gets on the state level, especially as public education goes, the more the state is telling parents, you do not have the capability of teaching your children. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that if children went to school before they could walk, parents would eventually be convinced that their child would not be able to walk without a teacher. That sounds harsh. But I truly believe that. And I wish more parents would realize their need to be involved in the education of their children. If you want to send your kids to Christian school, if you want to send your kids to public school, if you want to homeschool your children, that is your purview, that is your decision to make. But please understand that... You, as the parent, and not the state, are the one that is responsible, ultimately, for the education of your children. That's the first thing. The second thing she mentioned was roads. Now, they seem to be fixing the roads all the time. So, I don't know what actually the end game is and I feel like more than just getting out and fixing the roads we need a better plan for making the roads because it seems like 
roads don't hold up. They need to be repaired on a regular basis, and we need to find a better way to have them have more longevity. Every time we're turning around, they're asking for more money for roads. Now, it seemed like she was just asking for MDOT to activate money that was already available. I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but it's definitely something that she continues to hammer and make it sound like she has the answers. But again, we need long-term solutions. And I hope that through this process, people are thinking of long-term solutions for the roads and not short-term. It seems like for so many years, there's been one tax after another for roads, and yet they are a serious problem still within our state. The third thing, and one thing that really stuck out to me this time around for the state of the state, was her call for free community college for every Michigan high school graduate. And I'm sorry, but I feel like that assumes a lot. That assumes that every high school graduate is built for college. And that assumes that people who get a free college education will take advantage of it in the best way. I've told this story before that I knew a girl who was an American Indian and thus got a free college education and a free apartment from her tribe. Everything was paid for. She proceeded to go to Michigan State University and she bombed her first semester or maybe even her first year. I forget if it was just one semester or if it was both semesters, but she bombed. And why did she bomb? She bombed because she wasn't paying the bill. She had no personal sacrifice that she was making for this education. And nothing catastrophic was going to happen to her if it failed. So this idea that free education is just going to make everybody's life better is not 100% true. And very well could have its own problems. Not to mention that with all this spending that Whitmer wants to do, and and please understand me when I say that I understand that every politician wants to spend money, whether they are a conservative or a liberal, whether they are a Republican or a Democrat, they all want to spend money. But one of the things you need to do when you talk about spending money in an area is you need to figure out where that money is going to come from. And that's something that never comes out in these discussions. And then, of course, although she didn't harp on it, she talked about the successes that her administration had in securing greater rights for women's reproductive health. I just love the fact, and by love I mean very sarcastically love the fact, that she talks about wanting population growth in Michigan, well, practically cheering and jumping up and down that my state kills babies better than your state. That's essentially what she says over and over again. That's one of her biggest badges of honor is that Michigan is one of the most pro-abortion states in the nation, despite the years and years of work that organizations like Right to Life of Michigan have done 
to preserve the sanctity of human life. And why is it that people would want to come back to a state like Michigan when your biggest claim to fame is that anyone can come here to kill their children? That is ridiculous, repulsive, and disgusting to me. And it is something that we should, as a state, be in prayer about. We need to storm the gates of heaven and ask God to intervene for these little children who are being sacrificed on the altar of convenience and being shunned because they are inconvenient. And we need to make abortion not just illegal, but unthinkable by the way that we live in our culture. This is so important. All right, well, I just have one more story to share, and this one is kind of similar to the way I ended last week's show uh, because I told you last week about Detroit Lions football. And- Jared Goff with the delivery, 14 with a catch, and the Lions with an extra point can double up their lead with 6.22 to play. Man, Dan, look, he's dropping dimes, nickels, quarters. Jared is dropping it all out the other day. Beautiful pass from number 16. Baker leans in, there's the snap, blitz comes, Mayfield back, loads, throws, picked up by the Lions, intercepted by the Lions, intercepted by the Lions, Derek Barnes, Derek Barnes, Derek Barnes, oh baby, 133 to go, the Lions are going to San Francisco, Derek Barnes with the interception, oh baby, stand up Ford Field, look at this, look at this. First career interception for Derek Barnes, and how big is that? Yes, man, yes. 55, dropping back into coverage, reaching up, making the grab. Oh, baby, it's beautiful. Lions will break the huddle and go into victory formation. There's the snap, Goff takes a knee. Yes. (laughs) That clock is moving, they're not stopping it. They're not stopping it. They are not stopping it. <laughs> hey, Detroit, you're going back to the NFC Championship yes, game. Sir. We're going to San Francisco. Yes, sir. Let's go, baby. Let's go. There's the knee, and that's it. Yes. Oh, Detroit. Two teams will meet out in the middle of the field to say job well done. Job better done on this night by your NFC North champion Detroit Lions who are going to the NFC Championship game where they will see San Francisco next week with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. So Dan Miller and Lomas Brown on the call for the Detroit Lions radio network and the Lions are facing the San Francisco 49ers for the NFC title and a trip to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. And I am very excited. I think actually these teams match up very well. The Lions have some weakness in their secondary, which I hope is being addressed in practice this week. And I'm just so proud of the team and how they've banded together. And I feel like this team is much like the 2004 Detroit Pistons team that won the title. 
they didn't have any real big superstars. They just had a bunch of guys that went to work and came away with a title, and that was so exciting. And now I am really excited to see the Detroit Lions legitimately have a chance at going to their first Super Bowl in franchise history. Ironically, they were a very good team in the 50s. They won three NFL titles, I believe, in the decade of the 50s. And there's actually a book about those teams called When They Were Kings. And it's just so interesting to think about the Lions ever being dominant. But there's actually also a whole display about that in the NFL Hall of Fame. But now we're writing a new chapter for the Lions, and I really hope that they come to play with San Francisco. The last two games have had elements of being nail-biters, even though I believe the Lions have never trailed in either one of those games. They've been tied, but I don't think they've ever trailed. And I really think the NFC Championship will be more of the same. I think it will come down to the final minutes, and hopefully the Lions will prevail. So that's all I have time for today on the Culture Watch Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this show, and as I said, if you'll share it with your family and friends, that would mean a whole lot to me as I continue on my quest to encourage the body of Christ and to equip them well to run the race and to continue on their journey of the Christian life. I hope that you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 